0: Section fourteen of Fires and Firefighters by John Kenlin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirteen Theaters and Fire Panics. The problems affecting fire control in places of public amusement are amongst the most intricate, demanding solution by fire departments. For here the human element becomes an important factor in the situation and though every safeguard scientific ingenuity can devise may be adopted and though thousands of dollars may be expended in the installation of the most modern and complete equipment of that nature it lies within the power of one small boy in the gallery who thoughtlessly calls out fire to transform an assembly of happy pleasure-seekers into a shambles that is to say unless some scheme of controlling an audience in moments of emergency can be devised and towards this end many fire protection associations are working hence in treating the subject it will be convenient first to consider the active measures demanded by municipalities from the managers of theatres for the public safety then to give an example of an actual theatre fire drawing from it the obvious deductions and finally to touch on audiences themselves broadly speaking theater safety depends upon the situation and convenience of exits the use of the fireproof curtain completely separating the stage from the auditorium the installation of a system of automatic sprinklers in places where much inflammable material is to be found such as in scenery docks and minute attention to such details as the provision of fireproof scenery and the caging in of all lights, electric and otherwise. Perhaps it will be simplest to give the regulations suggested for or existing in New York on this subject which may be accepted as representing the standard requirements: Standpipes four inches in diameter must be provided with hose attachments on every floor and gallery, one on each side of the auditorium in every tier, and one on each side of the stage in every tier. In addition, there must be at least one in the property room, and one in the carpenter's shop, if the latter be contiguous to the building. All these standpipes must be kept clear from obstruction, and be fitted with the regulation couplings of the fire department they must be kept constantly filled with water by means of an automatic power pump of sufficient capacity to supply all the lines of hose when operated simultaneously this pump must be ready for immediate use at all times during a performance a separate and distinct system of automatic sprinklers with fusible plugs supplied with water from a tank situated on the roof over the stage and not connected in any manner with the standpipes, must be placed on each side of the proscenium opening and on the ceiling over the stage at such intervals as will protect every square foot of stage surface when they are in operation. Wherever practicable these sprinklers must also be placed in the dressing rooms, under the stage and in the carpenter's shop, paint rooms, store and property rooms. A sufficient quantity of hose fitted with regulation couplings and with nozzles and hose spanners must be kept attached to holders for immediate use on the stage there must always be kept in readiness four casks full of water and two buckets to each cask all to be painted red there must also be provided hand pumps or other portable fire extinguishing apparatus and at least four axes and six hooks of different lengths on each floor of the stage. Every portion of the building devoted to the accommodation of the public, as well as all outlets leading to the streets, must be well and properly lighted during the performance, and the lights must not be extinguished until the entire audience has left the premises. The illumination of all parts of the building used by the audience, with the exception of the auditorium, must be controlled from the lobby by a separate shut-off gas and electric mains supplying the theater must have independent connections for the auditorium and the stage and provision must be made for shutting off the gas from outside the building all suspended or bracket lights surrounded by glass in any portion of the theater used by the public must be provided with wire netting protection No gas or electric lights must be inserted in the walls, woodwork, ceilings, or in any part of the building, unless protected by fireproof materials. The footlights, when not electric, in addition to the wire network, must be protected with a strong wire guard and chain, placed not less than two feet distant, and the trough containing the footlights must be composed of and surrounded by fireproof material all border lights must be subject to the approval of the department of buildings and be suspended for ten feet by wire rope all stage lights must have strong metal wire guards not less than eight inches in diameter so constructed that any material in contact therewith is out of reach of the flames the bridge calcium lights at the sides of the proscenium shall be enclosed in front and on the side by galvanized iron, so that no drop can come in contact with the lights. Electric calciums, so called, are included in the above requirements. Standpipes and all apparatus for the extinction of fire or for guarding against the same must be in charge and under the control of the fire department, and the commissioner is responsible for the carrying out of these regulations a diagram of each tier gallery or floor showing distinctly the exits therefrom each plan occupying a space of not less than fifteen square inches must be legibly printed in black lines on the program of every performance every exit must have over the inside of the door the word exit painted in legible letters not less than eight inches high all exit doors must open outwards, and be fastened with movable bolts, which must be kept drawn during performances. No doors shall open immediately upon a flight of stairs, but a landing of reasonable width shall be allowed between them. The proscenium opening must be provided with a fireproof metal curtain, or one constructed of asbestos overlapping the brick proscenium wall at each side not less than twelve inches and sliding vertically at each side within the iron channels of a depth of not less than twelve inches these grooves must be securely bolted to the wall and must extend to a height of not less than three feet above the top of the curtain when raised to its full limit this curtain should be raised at the commencement of each performance lowered between each act and again lowered at the end of the performance this system is now regularly in force in chicago if the curtain be made of asbestos that material must be reinforced with wire while to ensure its remaining taut and its easy descent a rigid metallic bar of sufficient weight must be firmly attached to its base the excess weight of the curtain is to be overcome by a check rope of cotton or hemp extending to the floor on both sides of the stage, so that its cutting or burning will release the curtain, which will then descend at its normal rate of speed. This curtain shall at no point be nearer the footlights than three feet. As regards doorways, none shall be allowed through the proscenium from the auditorium above the first floor, and all doorways shall have self-closing standard fire-doors on each side of the wall openings if any below the stage must each have self-closing fire-doors and all such doors must be hung so as to permit of opening from either side at all times near the centre of the highest part of the stage should be constructed one or more ventilators of incombustible material extending at least ten feet above the stage roof and of an area equal to at least twelve per cent of the area within the stage walls openings in these ventilators should be closed by valves so counterbalanced as to open automatically and kept shut by cords in which must be inserted a fusible link at a point near the bottom of the ventilator this cord should be fastened on the stage-floor level near the prompter's desk so that in case of necessity it can be easily reached and severed all that portion of the stage not comprised in the working of scenery traps and other mechanical apparatus and usually equal to the width of the proscenium opening should be built of fire-resisting material the fly and tie galleries should be constructed of iron or steel while the gridiron or rigging loft should have a lattice iron floor and be readily accessible by iron stairways all stage scenery curtains and decorations and all woodwork on or about the stage should be saturated with some non-combustible material and this should apply likewise to all finishing coats of paint given to woodwork a strong feature should also be made of a careful and thorough examination before and after a performance of all fire apparatus by the firemen whether municipal or private attached to the theatre for professional duties this in brief standardizes the main features regarded by experts as embracing the minimum demands consistent with the safety of the public and they have been given in some detail since, shorn of picturesque narrative, they are more likely to receive attention from the serious-minded. A better example of a calamitous fire at a theatre, attended with appalling loss of life, could not be selected than that of the Iroquois Theatre in Chicago. On the 30th of December, 1903, two thousand women and children crowded to a matinee performance of a musical extravaganza called mr bluebeard the theatre had the reputation of being the largest safest and newest in chicago and had seating accommodation for one thousand seven hundred forty persons holidays were in full swing and being the last afternoon performance of the old year it drew hundreds of little ones with their happy parents not alone from the city itself but from many towns in the vicinity the house was consequently packed many people willingly standing at the backs of the galleries in order to see the celebrated eddie foy the chief laugh-maker of the play a particularly popular song was in progress and children and grown-ups were absorbed in watching eight pretty girls and eight young men singing and dancing to the strains of the fine orchestra when suddenly a large piece of burning muslin border fell upon the stage unknown to actors and audience the spotlight had fused or so it was suspected and stage hands with sticks had been fighting the fire for some moments in the wings before this ominous herald made its unwelcome appearance in full view of all the singers gasped and wavered the orchestra ceased with a crash for the space of a heartbeat there was silence then a curious figure bearing a small child staggered from the wings to the footlights it was eddie foy and the child was his son hurriedly he passed the boy to the conductor and the grotesque appearance of the comedian, clad only in his tights and minus half his grease paint, momentarily distracted the attention of the audience from the flames behind him. "For God's sake play and keep on playing," he implored the leader of the orchestra in hushed tones, and the musicians responded to his appeal with trembling hands and uncertain fingers. Meanwhile desperate efforts were being made to lower the fireproof curtain, which, bellying in owing to a draft from the auditorium, jammed and descended only a few feet. As the flames spurted out beneath its edge, a woman's shriek rang out, and of the horror which ensued few of the survivors can bring themselves to speak. Fire and smoke, driven from the stage, swept up to the galleries, where a panic had already started mothers wrapping their arms about their children were trampled underfoot in the wild rush of despair then the stage-loft collapsed a column of flame rose from the ground to the ceiling and the theatre was plunged in darkness while the battle of life continued in one crescendo of horror all unconscious of the tragedy being enacted within a stone's throw some painters in a building opposite one of the balcony exits suddenly saw a man standing on the escape as they looked the red glare of fire on the story below him showed them that his way to safety had been cut off and that his need was desperate running out a ladder from their window to where he stood they urged him to cross but ladder and man slipped from the coping and plunged with a sickening thud into the street below AND NOW MORE CRAZED CREATURES WERE MAKING THEIR WAY TO THIS NARROW PLATFORM, AND OF THEM TWELVE WERE DRAWN TO SAFETY ON SOME PLANKS. BY THIS TIME, HOWEVER, THE FIRE WAS ABOVE, BESIDE, AND BENEATH THEM, AND WOMEN AND CHILDREN, PACKED LIKE SARDINES, HELPLESS TO MOVE, WERE ROASTED SLOWLY ALIVE BEFORE THE EYES OF THEIR WOULD-BE RESCUERS. WHEN THE FIREMEN SUCCEEDED IN ENTERING THE CHARNEL HOUSE, They were confronted by a wall of bodies ten feet in height and seven feet in width. It was impossible to believe that amongst these distorted forms could have remained any living person, but the fire-marshal called to the surrounding silence, "'Is there any one living here?' There was no reply, and the men made their way over this ghastly barricade, in search of perchance one survivor.' Out of the two thousand merry-makers who had entered the theatre, buoyant with happy expectations, six hundred and two were carried to the morgue. It was found by the exploring firemen that those in the second balcony had suffered most in their futile efforts to descend the stairs. The sight was a horrible one. Wedged in a solid mass, which had practically lost all semblance of humanity, were what had once been men, women, and children— twisted and entwined together in their death struggles. In the vice-like grip of usually feeble hands were found bits of cloth, fragments of jewelry, and strands of hair, evidently wrenched from their possessors in that hideous carnival of terror. One poor woman, from being bent back over a seat, had not only a broken spine, but had become practically dismembered through the pressure placed upon her while in many instances faces had become so distorted as to be unrecognizable even to near relatives others who had bravely kept their seats and withstood the spur of panic fear had been overcome by smoke and gas and at least had received as their reward a peaceful death a fire captain observing one of his men carrying the body of a girl called to him We've got no time for that sort of thing now. We must get on." To his surprise, the man raised a tear-stained face, and said brokenly, "'Captain, I've got one of my own about this age, so if you don't mind, I'll carry this little one out.' The captain silently handed him a blanket, and unrebuked he bore his sad burden to the door those there were whose hearts were too hardened to be touched by the piteous spectacle which had unnerved the strongest-minded these unspeakable creatures lurked and crouched in corners waiting for the opportunity to pull a ring from a powerless hand or to wrench a brooch from a motionless form over the scenes at the identification it is unnecessary to linger suffice it to say that so widespread was the sympathy evoked by this terrible catastrophe that for many days following chicago was a city of mourning all festivities being suspended the distressing incidents accompanying this outbreak have not been dwelt upon with the idea of satiating a morbid curiosity but rather because they bring home forcibly to the general reader some notion of what a theatre panic really means. To how many has the question ever occurred, when seated at a theatre and enjoying a play, what should I do if someone shouted fire now? Should I push and fight and struggle, or should I remain calmly in my place? It is this question of the personal equation which makes fire control in theatres a problem at once perplexing and all-important obviously the first step towards the safety of theatre audiences must come from a properly equipped and constructed building next the records of almost every theatre disaster show that the critical moment in determining the fate of the audience is that immediately following the first indication of alarm hence the training of theatre attendants should be directed rather towards the prevention of panic than to the regulation of the movements of a panic-stricken audience for one thing the wide disparity in numbers between the available house force and the audience would clearly render abortive any attempt at such regulation there are however well-defined principles which if carefully observed will materially assist in directing the movements of an audience in case of fire Firstly. To ensure the best results, all employees permanently connected to the theatre should be organized into exit-drill companies, each individual member being assigned a special duty. While it is both necessary and important that the individual units of these companies should be instructed in the handling and use of fire equipment, and grounded in the rudiments of fire extinction, the paramount consideration is the safety of the audience and every available means should be utilized of rendering assistance to the ushers whose business it is to obtain its prompt and orderly departure all fire signals should be transmitted by an electrically operated alarm system the recording apparatus of which should be placed in the main business office the box office and the stage manager's office upon receipt of an alarm by the stage manager OR WHEN FIRE IS DISCOVERED IN THE STAGE SECTION BEFORE AN ALARM IS STRUCK, THE CURTAIN SHOULD BE DROPPED IMMEDIATELY, AND THE STAGE MANAGER, ONE OF THE ACTORS OR THE fireman ON DUTY, SHOULD GO BEFORE THE CURTAIN AND ANNOUNCE THE DISCONTINUANCE OF THE PERFORMANCE. UPON THE WORDING OF THAT ANNOUNCEMENT AND THE MANNER OF ITS DELIVERY WILL LARGELY DEPEND THE BEHAVIOR OF THE AUDIENCE and hence it is strongly recommended that a form of announcement should be prepared in advance and copies thereof placed in the hands of the various stage employees it should be brief and to the point something after the following is recommended i am instructed by the management to announce that it will be necessary to discontinue the performance and immediately to dismiss the audience every one in leaving the house should implicitly follow the directions of the ushers stationed in each aisle of course the use of music a lively march or something of a stirring character is an excellent means of keeping an audience in hand and getting them away without unnecessary fuss or excitement but this again presupposes an element of control over the orchestra which it would be almost impossible to ensure unless the same musicians were permanently employed and the management were satisfied that they could be relied upon to do their duty in case of emergency. Otherwise, obviously, they would be worse than useless, and would probably only augment signs of unrest in the most undesirable quarters. Another excellent method would appear to be to have a large plan of the theatre, with exits clearly marked, painted on the fire-curtain, and exhibited for a few moments during each entre-acte after the announcement of the cessation of the performance has been made from the stage the ushers should move forward to their respective aisles and by word of mouth should quietly instruct their charges as to the speediest way to the street for the assignment of exits the seat plan on each floor should be divided into sections and to each section there should be assigned certain exits according to the relative discharging capacities so that the time required for discharging the number apportioned to any one exit would average about the same for all each usher and doorman should be provided with a copy of the seating plan on which would be indicated the exit assignments in detail ushers should of course be required to remain on duty by their respective exits during all performances fire alarm boxes should be placed in positions where they can be conveniently reached but never in view of the audience for the average theatre there should be a box on each side of the parquet on the wall and in the rear of the last row of seats as well as one in the front hall for balcony and galleries there should be also two boxes one on each side behind the last row of seats For the stage, there should be one box on the rear wall, a box on each side near the proscenium wall, and, when necessary, boxes in the dressing-rooms and the carpenter's shop. The boxes in the auditorium should, above all else, operate as noiselessly as possible, as a signal therefrom heard by the audience would probably be more productive of panic than even the sight of the actual fire. ALL THEATERS SHOULD BE IN DIRECT COMMUNICATION WITH FIRE-HEADQUARTERS. THE SYSTEM OF ASSIGNING REGULAR OR PENSIONED FIREMEN IN UNIFORM, OR OF MAINTAINING PRIVATE FIREMEN IN UNIFORM, WHERE THE REGULAR FORCE MAY BE UNDULY depleted BY SUCH ASSIGNMENT TO THEATERS, IS TO BE COMMENDED. THEIR PRESENCE UNDOUBTEDLY DOES MUCH TO INSPIRE CONFIDENCE AND REASSURE AN AUDIENCE IN MOMENTS OF EXCITEMENT, while naturally their superior knowledge and skill enables them to render valuable assistance when required finally there should be prominently displayed illuminated signs not only over the exits themselves but in all conspicuous places with arrows indicating the shortest and easiest route by which the street may be reached no doubt the writer will be told that he has suggested counsels of perfection and that if the caution practical experience demands in theatres and which is embodied in this chapter became law theatrical managers would spend all their time in looking after minute details and audiences would resent being treated like children yet as a matter of fact in moments of crisis grown people are very often akin to children which is evidenced by the fact that, under such circumstances, it is extraordinary how few otherwise level-headed persons will for one moment think of leaving a theatre by any door other than that through which they entered, quite irrespective of convenience of location. And hence it is that those in control must devise means to prevent them doing just those things which are worst for them, even at the risk of some unpopularity and a fire in a theatre or a panic arising from an alarm of one as has been shown may lead to such ghastly results that it becomes the duty of all municipal governments to do all in their power to prevent such an occurrence the writer without wishing to appear extreme is of opinion that some limitation should be placed upon the seating capacity of theatres as distinct from stadia and places of that nature an audience of eighteen hundred is sufficient to tax all the resources of those responsible in emergencies and is about the maximum number which can conveniently and quickly pass out of any theatre without causing untold confusion in the street which will in its turn hamper the fire forces equally however a theatre run along the lines indicated will not only promise the maximum of safety but without exaggeration will afford its patrons a greater amount of security than as a rule they will find in their own homes. End of section fourteen. Recording by Maria Casper.